Hello, beautiful people. Welcome to God is Gray, the podcast. Although I, as a Christian, believe that God resides in absolute truth, in black and white, we as people are stuck here on planet Earth contending with the gray. In church, gray areas often cause dissension, anger, and even hate. But on this platform, I welcome open dialogue, variety of opinion, and differing belief systems. God is Gray is meant to teach, inform, and simply trade stories with kindness, love, and mutual respect. If you have a story or perspective to share, please reach me, Brenda Marie Davies, at GodIsGrayXO at gmail.com. To support the cause and be a part of our community, donate to patreon.com slash goddessgray. Now, on to the episode. Hi, beautiful people. people. I want to introduce you to Madison Headland. She is the founder of Awaken Her Soul. She's going to tell you what this is all about. So I know I promised you guys that we I would talk about my journey of sexual integrity and how I live that out in my life, being a sexually active, unmarried Christian. Um, but I want to push that off to next week and just present this conversation to you because we're just going to talk about deconstruction, not only of faith, but of the ideas that you've been holding in your body, in your mind, in your spirit about who you are, what you're supposed to be doing that might be completely counterintuitive to actually the way you know that you were created to be. In church, for example, we as women are often told we're too much, we're too loud, we need to be more submissive, we need to be more godly in a way. And, you know, there's so many women that I know that that just like, created cognitive dissonance or like, wait, this is, I thought God created me to be a specific way. And you're telling me I have to abandon the woman that I know that I am. Um, and that's just like one of many examples. We hold ourselves back in many, many ways when we're in that culture. But, um, you have this concept of radical honesty that I think might help you guys in the God is great community understand that the way to carve out this conversation we're going to have in particular is to be unafraid to realize this is a safe space. We're just going to have an honest dialogue about our past and our present. And I want to be honest about some of the struggles that I still have, even after reconstructing what I believe. Um, but really the first step is to allow yourself to admit what's going on inside of yourself. A coach asked me this question once and it mirrored to me how much I was living in denial of my own experience, not just in the church, but in my life in general, because that's how women are often taught to be, to deny their feelings in order to please other people, to just kind of keep a face and to be, for me, and I think as you, like that good girl mentality of like, I'm fine, I'm good, I'm positive. And so that was very much the persona that I carried and it didn't really occur to me to ask myself how I was really doing. It didn't occur to me to ask myself what I really believed. Um, probably years and years into my experience with evangelical Christianity. And I had a coach who asked me, what are you pretending not to know? And they, they asked it. I don't even remember what context. It wasn't even that big of a deal. But the question has stuck with me. And it's one of my favorite questions to ask my clients. I ask it to myself a lot. Because whenever I, for example, was in the church, I was, I knew that some things that were taking place didn't sit well with me for years, but I let it be unconscious. I let it be like, 
the question of like, why is homosexuality wrong? And like, I don't really understand why that's hurting anyone. And I don't know, you know, like all of those questions that I would, I would think I didn't dare want to speak. I didn't have even enough courage to speak it to myself. And yeah. so that, that building a sense of courageousness with yourself, just in your journal in um, your quiet time and your prayer time of like even dialoguing with God about the things that like I'm feeling shitty I'm feeling suppressed I'm feeling like I can't be who I really am and whenever that cracked open I remember I was actually on a mission trip in Mexico whenever I finally was like broke down sobbing and I was like God why do the men in my church keep telling me that the way that I am is wrong and the way that I am is sinful when it's like if you made me this way like if you don't want me to be this person like just change me and looking back a lot of the feedback I was getting from the men in my church was one because I'm a outspoken bubbly um comfortable with my sexuality person but also it was because I had a lot of childhood trauma that was being manifested in supposed sin that wasn't being acknowledged as trauma related and it was I'm bad I'm doing bad things and it really needed to be addressed with care and love. And so getting honest about the things I was struggling with allowed me to one, see that I wasn't broken and to deconstruct all of that, but to get help that I actually needed um, because I was living from trauma. And in the church, I was told not to go to therapy. And I was told that all of those things that I was experiencing was a result of not having enough faith in sin. And so the, the honesty cracked me open to not just have more compassion with myself, but to have more compassion with other people, um, opened up dialogues and just really allowed me to experience my humanity in a more rich way, which to me is my spirituality. That's amazing. And um, another thing that you were talking about is that we have unconscious reactions to pain, which is something I really relate to. Like I actually carried a lot of hatred I would use that word and animosity towards the evangelical church for a number of years. And my mom used to point it out to me a lot. She'd be like, you're really angry. And I'd be like, no, I'm not. I'm fine. Everything's I'm fine. fine. <laughs> um, and I just wanted to be yeah. disconnected from it and not even acknowledge that. But you were bringing up earlier that like a lot of people bef before dipping their toe into deconstructing anything that they believe might encounter a fear that their immediate reaction to that will become being a man basher, <laughs> embracing the liberal agenda, you know, being, um, you know, completely science-based and then forgetting God completely or just going down this dark trail where you never are to return. But in reality, when you see other people doing those things that you maybe fear, to have some compassion and understanding, realize that those are, they're emoting unconscious reactions to pain. Like I had just been so hurt by the church and my unconscious reaction was to hate it and to yeah. speak disparagingly of it at all turns and, you know, like, et cetera. So you're saying in your practice, if we do this mindfully, this deconstruction, that we don't necessarily at all have to embrace any of these unconscious reactions, that we can actually do mm -hmm. it in a really healthy, life-giving, affirming, beautiful way. Yeah. 
Well, I think a lot of people are taught that it's wrong to feel their feelings and it's wrong to experience anger. And so then instead of experiencing anger in a clean, healthy way, which is possible, because I was angry when I left the church and I processed that in therapy and with my coaches and in my journal um, and moved through it quite quickly. Like my deconstruction process was like a year and a half. And just like, I I did like 10 years of like intense work, like in such a short amount of time. I did 10 years in 10 years. (laughs) (laughs) It it takes a long time for a lot of people. A lot of people um, have different experiences or are in and out, you know, everyone's experience is different. What I typically see from friends from people who um, go through deconstruction and don't process their emotions is they are living in unconscious reaction. Are you familiar with the ACE score test? Yeah. Childhood experience. Oh yeah. A little bit, to be honest. The more, um, the more adverse childhood, you can go and take the test. Um, If your ACE score is above four, you're more likely to experience a lot of um, mental illness, physical illness, high risk of cancer. And my, my ACE score is really high. That's why I'm like all about the therapy. Um, But also people who, people who have been sexually assaulted, according to the ACE score statistics are more likely to experience those situations again. And the reason why is because they're cut off from their body's natural responses to respond to dangerous situations Mm. and they're living in an unhealthy nervous system state. And so whenever people experience trauma in their religion and trauma in their home and trauma from coming out, even just coming out of religion, it makes sense that their nervous system might not be in a state where they are like, I'm just consciously aware of my feelings no, that's not what happens to a human body when they've experienced a trauma. And then whenever we judge people who are in a trauma state or at what we would say acting out or in sin, however people want to put that, Christians look at them living in reaction to their, they're angry or maybe um, a woman leaves Christianity and all of a sudden she's like saying a bunch of stuff and she's really intense and she's disrespecting men and she's what people call an angry feminist. Well, yeah, of course. She's in, she's having a reaction to what, what our culture is doing. And also we, a lot of Christian people aren't comfortable with anger as an emotion in general. And so anger is a sign that we have been violated. And so you take someone who's been violated over and over and over again in their life, it's going to come out in sickness. It's going to come out in rage. It's going to come out. It's going to come out somehow, unless we learn as people and as a Christian community to allow our emotions to tell us that something is wrong. Like I remember whenever I was going to church every Sunday and about to have an anxiety attack every Sunday. And I was like, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? Why am I, why am I so angry? Why am I so upset? I'll just pray more and I'll fast. Like something was wrong. Yeah. And I needed to acknowledge that. And that meant letting my feelings not dictate everything I did, but tell like be the, the compass of like something's not working for you here. It takes people who are inside Christianity to say, hey, are we paying attention to the unconscious racism here? Hey, are we paying attention to the way that we're causing harm by this languaging? Are we paying attention to the fact that like a lot of our people are traumatized? Like <laughs> and yeah. calling our leaders to do better. I mean, that's what good democracy is. That's what a good community is. And I feel like you're doing a really freaking good job of it. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, Well, let's steer the conversation in a different direction. Would you describe Awaken Your Soul to the God is Great community? So essentially, it's a 14-week program that goes through a death and rebirth process. It actually follows 
the resurrection process. Um, the first month being identifying the ego, identifying the stories, the things in our past, the traumas that have us really stuck in identities and programming that is not who we are, but we feel identified with. And so um, a lot of people who take it are deconstructing their faith, but plenty of people aren't. They're either staying Christian the whole time or they were never Christian and they're deconstructing body image things. So it's kind of what whatever belief system is entrapping you that was programmed, it, it will be revealed. The first month is like the deconstruction of that belief system. The second month is if you're not those previous identities and if you're not I mean, you could say what the world says you are, if you're not what your religion said you were, if you are if you don't have to be like beholden to your parents' idea of who you are, then what is your true essence? Who are you made to be? And then I believe even underneath that, that like at the core of us is divinity. And so that would separate, I guess, my theology, my belief system from a lot of traditional Christians and that I believe we're inherently good. And at the core of all people is goodness. Um, so that kind of doesn't work for atonement theology but in in this case like getting to the core of like divine essence that lives inside everyone interestingly enough i my program hashtag is i am my own responsibility and it's like taking responsibility for yourself but actually detaching responsibility from anyone else's stuff which i mean codependence and women especially having to take responsibility for men's feelings their parents feelings their church's feelings what other people are perceiving their outfits it inherently breathes codependence. And mm. that's not just a Christianity thing, although it is very much an evangelicalism, it's a cultural thing because that's how patriarchy is. So um, it just helps women reclaim a sovereignty within themselves so they can stop living oriented to other people and live aligned with what's true for them. And then the third month is if that's what's true about you and if that's what is right about you, then what does it look like to live that practically? So the third month is the very coachy month of, what are you here to do? Who do you want to be? And how do you make boundaries, practical action towards that? Okay. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's a lot of clarity. That's good. Yeah. yeah. Um, so everyone listening, we were thinking of actually going through a bit of a process, um, just obviously a very condensed uh, portion of what anyone would experience in three months of an intensive mm -hmm. process. And I mean, my deconstruction phase lasted over a decade. So, yeah. you know, these things take a really, really long time. But I think now that we're identifying the root issues and people are talking more openly about our pain and the things we've experienced and then just recognizing problematic behaviors and thoughts when they come up has just been huge for mm -hmm. so many of us. Um so I could just start by saying as recently as last night, I was in bed with my boyfriend, which, you know, that right there, that sentence alone could draw up so many things from my past. And as much as I've walked through so much of that pain and come to peace within myself and within my Christian faith about the way that I'm living, that just because I'm not ready to get married for multiple reasons, um, one being I just don't have $30,000 for a party right now, <laughs> you know, but there's a lot of other reasons of being like, if I'm going to make this 
declarative statement to God and to my family again, because I've already been there before that I want to really mean it. I would never want to do it from a place of guilt or shame or like you're talking about the things that other people have imposed on me my whole life. That's why I walked down the aisle the first time. So I'm not going to do that a second time. (laughs) But Mm -hmm. that said, it was just funny because I was talking to him about it last night and I was just like, it's so wild that there is a piece of me that feels so authentic and whole and set free and at peace. And I really feel that truth when I'm meditating and praying that wave of calm and peace that comes over me where I'm like, I know that I know that I'm doing exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. And then the voice of the antagonist, the enemy, the devil, if you want to call it, whatever you want to put a name Mm -hmm. to it about, um, or whatever name you want to put to it. I feel that as well still Mm -hmm. in my life. So I think just walking through the process of what it might be like for any of us coming from evangelicalism, the purity culture, the modesty culture, the gender stereotypes, all the imposing ideas put on us by both of our parents and our faith leaders. What does it look like to walk through that with you? Mm. So we want to do a little practice round for you guys and see what that might look like. (laughs) Yeah. And so something that I'm a huge advocate of is feeling what we're experiencing fully, no matter what voice it's coming from, because I think what we often do is like, I don't want to feel that. And like, that's not true for me anymore. I know that's not true. And so then we're mad that we feel something. So Mm -hmm. there's this like, it becomes like a war inside of us. And so I have a practice that I teach in my program, but you can do something similar of just softening your body. I think that's like a really important piece that we often miss as we keep the work and deconstruction very intellectual, but softening your body is like, where do I feel that guilt? Where do I, where in my body is that? Is it deep in your gut? Is it like a response? So I'd be curious for you whenever you have those like flickers of like, whoa, that's still there. Where is, where do you feel it? I mean, it's funny because the first thought that comes up for me when you talk about that is the guilt and shame imposed on all of us believing we're inherently evil because of our flesh. So this belief or feeling that you're not supposed to trust your body in any way, like Mm -hmm. the practice of even just listening and identifying where your body is like, screaming that there is a trauma or an issue Mm -hmm. is so easy to squelch and be like, that's not my spiritual self. That's my body. So we're shutting that up, Yeah, (laughs) which is wild. But if I were to identify it, it would be like deep in my gut. It's like this like simmering feeling at the bottom of my stomach. That's like, are you sure you're being a good girl? Are you sure you're doing the right thing? And it's just this like low level anxiety mm-hmm. and I usually just ignore it and hope that it'll go away and yeah. it does. But again, like I said, after a decade long journey or more of just like squelching that, so it got quieter, but it's still there. I would be really curious almost um, not to exacerbate it, but to like ask it, like, how old are you? Like, like what version of you, I know walking through my own divorce this year and then starting to date a woman, what I experienced was like, what if like you're actually broken? Like what if, you know, the things that happened to you and I started having these experiences like that and I would put my hand on my body and I would say like, 
thank you and feel that feeling in my stomach where I'm like, I feel sick, like that programming that like something is wrong with me and like sitting with it and like loving that feeling and realizing that it was actually like my 17 year old self. It was my 20 year old self. It was my nine year old self who had made these agreements to be a certain woman, but I'm just not. And so in a way, like, I was like, I don't feel like I'm grieving my marriage closing. I don't feel like I'm confused about what I'm feeling, but there's a younger version of me who is like, what the fuck are you doing? Abandoning (laughs) what we said. And I feel like whenever I look at her, I could be angry at her and say like, shh, like stop. Or I can say like, I know that must be hard to see where I'm at now and you don't understand and you're afraid for me, um, but I love you. You can trust me. And in a way, reparenting all of those many inner children that all of us have. And so it would, I would really be curious um, whenever that voice pops up again for you or for anybody um, to ask like, how old are you? Are you like, oh, this is, you're afraid. Like, okay, like I can love your fear because I know what it was like to be you and to be afraid. And, um, but I trust myself now. Um, so I would be really curious for, I mean, that's an ongoing practice, of course, yeah. but something along those lines. I, I've always wanted to be a good girl. I think as as like young as I can remember, and that's something that's very gendered that's put into us. Just be a nice girl, just be a good girl, and that was where I placed a lot of my value. And I felt like the favorite of my dad's for a while because my brothers and sister were rebellious and like living their life and I was literally like in church all the time (laughs) being pretty dang perfect. So definitely the hardest part of my evangelical deconstruction was realizing that I wouldn't get to be perfect in my dad's eyes anymore and that he would have to restructure why he's proud of me. And why I'm proud of myself. Like I was proud of myself for never cursing and for never trying a drug or tasting alcohol or being a virgin. Those were my points of pride. And when they started all slowly disappearing because I was in an experimentation phase, um, I really lost that sense of being a good girl Which is crazy, too, because I think of all the ways that I was such a good person in those times still, like Mm -hmm. present for my friends, madly in love with my family, like praying for everyone all the time. But I was still I lost that title of good girl. And there's so much like not just identity tied up in that, but if that's like the thing that you're used to getting affirmed all the time and it it becomes a sense of like the persona like the the mask we wear is like we can only be who we really are when we're alone and even then god sees so it's like yeah yeah (laughs) the accountability never ends (laughs) no like something that was really healing for me whenever i deconstructed and i'm actually still friends with most of my christian friends but i had i found a couple non-christian friends who had no con like concept of sin and no content. It was so fascinating to watch the way that they lived because it was like they had such a healthy relationship with their body, with each other, um, just with their own humanity. 
Mm -hmm. And watching their lives was like watching someone in a constant state of worship and awe and almost like I imagine Christ would be be living. It, it, there was this non-concern with good self-goodness. It can become this like obsession with self. Um, but then it's like, but it's like a, it's a good thing because I'm trying to be good. It's like, it, it's so stacked and layered. Um, I super relate. I was the whole, like, don't have sex till you're married. Didn't even drink in college. Was married before I graduated college. Like the whole Wow. Thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And I think too, like you, you just touching on that point. I <laughs> shout out to all the men that message me and either scream at me or beg me to tell them that it's true that they're allowed to masturbate. I know that like for women, our purity is our huge source of like weights and shame that we have to put on. But for men, it's like, don't touch yourself. That is your thing that you have to not do. And um, I've often thought like, I really wonder how many hours a day, a week are spent obsessing over whether or not you're allowed to masturbate. Oh no, I masturbated. Now I'm a bad person. Like, do you have anything left to give your community, your family, your friends? If you, you know, to me, that is the work of the devil, like to Mm -hmm. distract people to such a crazy extent that their own body is vilified, that their own desire, their own Mm -hmm. intuition, it's all vilified to the point that you can like convince yourself that you are downright evil, that you're sinful. And then at that point, what do you have to offer the world if you're on the floor and you believe the worst of yourself? Mm -hmm. Um, It's amazing to me that the tools of that destruction are our most base human needs. Yeah. Your own body. That's what was always so fascinating. My, my mom was, was very open with sexuality. And so I became, my mom and my stepdad weren't Christians. So I wasn't raised evangelical whenever I was super young. I chose evangelicalism for myself as a teenager. And Me like, too. I adopted it myself. Yeah. Me too. <laughs> um, so my mom was always like very much an advocate for self-pleasure and I remember going into the church and having, there was so much shame around it. I had a mentor who asked me to confess masturbation to her every time I did it. Uh, like, how could this only be okay in the context of another person? But what's, what happens when I'm alone isn't sacred and good. So, Well, you know, the argument that's given is that it's because it's a selfish act because God created sex to be in communion with yeah, your yeah. husband or wife. So any any pleasure outside of that is self-satisfying, self-serving, selfish. Yeah. What do we say to that? The first thing that popped into my mind was food. Like whenever I look in the Bible and I see people nourishing themselves, it's usually in community and breaking bread together and having communion together. And that's such a, a basic human need. We need to eat. And and how it's interesting that the only time we shame eating is whenever it's a mother and her child to her breast. And that's, we can't see that. And then, but eating alone isn't like, I just, I guess I'm thinking of all the weird ways that we say doing these human things alone are fine, except for sex. Like, you know, we can, we can commune together and eat together and laugh together and have these really intimate moments together. But and we can we can do them alone and it's no big deal but this one thing that we do that's so human it has to be it has to be a secret and also it can only be done with another person like mm-hmm. it has it's like it just doesn't make sense 
to me to 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 make our humanity so small in that way. Yeah. So my sexual ethics are actually really conservative. Like I know you were t- talking about sexual ethics. I don't have really I I respect people's sexual expression. I'm not someone with crazy sexual ethics. Um but it I'm st- I guess I'm still working through what's allowed. That's an area of my deconstruction. I'm like looking at because I have a lot of friends who are like polyamorous and I'm like oh um that's a thing that people do I I didn't know you know yeah yeah (laughs) Um, because I've just been so sheltered but it is fascinating to me to think that something that is so primal that children start doing at two and a half years old by nature they're just like oh this feels good okay um turns into this like really you're doing something bad because you're enjoying it. You're not allowed to enjoy it unless another person is there. Um, it also just makes me wonder about the humanity of Christ and how much we're missing about what was really fully human and what Christ was allowed to experience while here on earth. Um, because if he was fully human, he probably had an ejacula- ejaculation while dreaming at least a couple times, if not having sex with other people, if he was fully human. Yeah. Um, so I'm just assuming that if he was fully human, he'd probably experience some sort of sexual pleasure because you can't go through puberty without having those experiences if he was a human. Right. Yeah. No, I know. <laughs> I know. I and that, no, there's, and there's a huge debate around that, obviously, but I've definitely considered that as well. Um, because that shaming is so external and that's what I tell people as well. Like I was, masturbating when I was five years old at like from what I can remember maybe sooner for all I know and um I never ever once felt guilt shame nothing like that until external people were telling me and this by the way is at 12 and 13 years old so I went a good 13 years doing that whenever feeling nothing no conviction from god no huge <laughs> voice in my head even though i was a very spiritual girl i was like roman catholic at the time but i literally prayed by my bedside every single night like i was in tune as a kid never heard a negative message from the divine about what i was doing with pleasure until someone else told me that and then it comes down to confirmation bias for me because a lot of people were right like i said again primarily men Um, I mean, I don't even know if women know they're allowed to even think about masturbating. So maybe that's why I don't hear from women as much, but, um, the men are like, no, I know it's wrong. Cause after I do it, I feel incredible shame and guilt. And I'm like, yeah, but isn't that cause someone told you you're supposed to like, you know, which came first, the chicken or the egg. Well, in the messaging towards men that they're disgusting animals that just can't help it. It's like, that's harmful for them. And then, of course, they feel shame and guilt. And even with pleasure, I think Christians have such a difficult time with it in general because another thing my boyfriend and I were talking about last night is I'm currently, like, pregnant. I'm almost eight months. And we went on this ride that was actually really gentle, and I didn't feel like anything went wrong, but I wasn't expecting it to move. Like, obviously, if you're at a theme park, you aren't supposed to be doing any of that pregnant And after I got off of the ride, we'd been walking for like two and a half hours straight. And probably an hour later, I started getting cramps in my stomach. Mm. 
And immediately it was like, see, this is what you deserve. You've done harm to your child. Like you went on that ride. You should have known. You should have read the placard out front. Like, how did you not know that was? And it was like, I was having the best time ever. And then all of a sudden this weight and all of the shame and guilt and like, I'm a terrible person. And I just sit with that for like two hours in that Mm. place. And my boyfriend actually said, that's just because you think you're not allowed to have fun. You're not allowed to have any pleasure. Like you've been so devoted to like cooking this baby and taking care of it that you Mm. experienced a little bit of pleasure and then you felt really bad about it. And and I was like, (laughs) this is interesting. I'm like, oh my gosh, is that what I think? But if I really process it, even if I go to a bar and get some drinks with my friends, not pregnant, uh, (laughs) you know, sometimes I'll wake up in the morning and be like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. There's work I could have been doing, you know, whatever. But I'm, I'm sure that's not just a Christian problem. There's a lot of people that feel they don't deserve pleasure, especially women. I think that um, you probably spoke about this with Jamie Lee Finch, whom I love. Lover, yeah. About, like, what happens in a culture that is inherently capitalist, patriarchal, and evangelical. I mean, we can, you know, sprinkle in white supremacists, too, um, just for honesty. Um what happens is like our bodies become machines that we are supposed to suppress. And so instead of honoring what's true for these like beautiful bodies that we have, we are programmed in a culture that the overculture is Christian and the point of existing is to create something and to make money um, that we are machines. And you really, my family always said, oh, oh, you'll rest when you're dead. You know, it was kind of like this joke, but it's suppress your desires, don't have fun, work hard, be a good person, but there's not much room for what's real about being human in that. And I think, I, especially on the extreme conservative side of Christianity, there's plenty of like, there's plenty of room in Christianity, but the kind of Christianity I was in um, really had the most connection with capitalism and treating their body like machines, even the way that um, women worked out was to control their body. It wasn't about creative expression because that's wrong. It wasn't about moving your body in the way that felt good, like you said, because like, can I even trust this body? Can I even trust my heart that's going to deceive me? I shouldn't even listen to it. And so we become literally cut off from the very thing that makes us human. And like, we forget that Jesus, like, if you believe that, that Jesus became human. And Richard Rohr, who I love, Mm. one of his quotes is, God loves things by becoming them. And I love that so much, this idea that God became a human because being human was something that God wanted to experience. And I believe, like, my personal belief is that God comes through each of us. It's just us realizing that God is within us, that the Holy Spirit actually is, like, the inward journey, not the outward journey. But it's really fascinating the people who are making connection with the body and the people who actually are doing the most healing work I've ever seen as far as healing ner- their nervous system and becoming the most um, connected and aligned as a, as a person do it through connecting to their body. And Christianity has this weird way of cutting us off here. It's like here and up. And so we're, I feel like we're missing um, so much of true spirituality because I think, I mean, while we're here on earth, our spirituality has to exist here on earth while we're in these bodies. And even think about that too. Like 
the Christian YouTubers that'll put out videos about how, like, because you're not supposed to engage in anything secular or allow worldly thoughts into your head that you need to be scared of music. But it's like, (laughs) if you hear something and it makes your body move, how is that not the Holy Spirit? How is that not divinity? That's not Mm. the devil moving your hips. That is divine and beautiful. And it's heartbreaking how much we squelch that. I've always danced. I was a dancer growing up. And even my time in the church, because like you, I didn't have my youngest years in the church. My, my home life was quite traumatic, which is why I moved towards extreme evangelicalism. I think it provided me, it provided me a lot. Like, I don't want to completely say like, I, like, I hate that season of my life because I was very spiritual and very connected to myself and very, um, like always praying as a young girl. And again, like you, it didn't have guilt about my humanity. And it wasn't until I got indoctrinated late teens and early college into extreme evangelicalism that the shame and guilt started. And it wasn't that I thought I was bad. It wasn't that like, I thought dancing that way was bad. It was the public shaming that I didn't know the cultural norms because I wasn't raised that way. And so it was constantly like, Madison, you can't say that. Or you can't ask that. Or like, I was like, why, you know, why are we doing it this way? And why can't women teach? And I just, I really didn't understand. I didn't have, like, I wasn't indoctrinated like the other people were. So I didn't have, um, <laughs> I guess the, as my mom would probably say, the cooth to like, shut up. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was just like, why can't I dance this way? And it was actually the the shame that I received I think part of me enjoyed it because of my abusive childhood. Like I was in an abusive relationship with the church because I was repeating abusive cycles in the past. So I will say my relationship with Christianity is very much a mirror of my abusive childhood. And so my freedom from that abusive childhood also is a freedom from religion because the deconstruction helped me see that people with narcissistic parents and and narcissistic abuse actually have the same traumas of people in extreme religion. Wow. Oh, they're narcissistic systems. Fascinating. But my shame didn't come from, I think I'm wrong. It was, I didn't stop moving my body. And I was just like, why does everyone think that I'm too much? And it was basically like, why do you always have to create problems? Why do you always have to be the one who's loud? And, or why, why are you so intense? Why are you so intense? And really like, I'm, I do talk a lot, but like, I, I'm pretty light about the things. Like I'm not really an angry person, but it has been fascinating moving into exploring what my sexuality really is after closing my marriage this past year. And I don't know if the label I would give myself is bisexual or pansexual, but definitely not straight. I may be queer is the best word I have that um, the, the stories that I've, that have been bubbling up aren't ones that are like, this is bad. This is wrong. I'm like, I'm trusting my body. I'm in that place with my healing that I believe that my body is good in that. Like I've done everything with integrity um, in sexual integrity. This reminds me of a quote that you pulled up from neurologist, Dr. Stephanie Estima, who says a woman's intuition is an actual place in her brain, her insula, which is intimately involved in empathy, emotional awareness, and the interface where the interpretation of gut feelings take place. 
If this is true, why are so many women lacking self-trust and questioning the very gut feelings that make their leadership so powerful? It all comes back to the way women are conditioned. Those socialized as female are programmed to question their worth and look for validation outside of themselves. Damsel in distress syndrome, aka perpetually giving your own power away and making yourself, quote, less. Um, I think that touches on so much that we receive in evangelicalism because there are so many of us who are told we are too much, we are too loud, we are not adhering by biblical gender roles that are so important to God, um, which honestly never resonated with me. There are certain ways in which I was indoctrinated and I totally fell in line like a little sheep, and there are other ways that I was like, mm, that doesn't really add up. I think I maybe had too many powerful women in my life that actually had men that they honored and respected. So like, I didn't see it having to be this very structured, the man is in power. Like, you know, I saw my parents make decisions together without my mom ever bulldozing him, you know, it was like, no, we don't have to. each other. Yeah. Like, oh, really? (laughs) Imagine that. I don't know. Like (laughs) two human beings. I don't know. Like call me crazy (laughs) of equal value. Um, But it drives me crazy because all of the language, like if I take this quote from Stephanie Estima and I'm like, okay, what are all of the classic Christian arguments? It would be, you can't trust your feelings. Feelings are from the devil. If you don't lean on your understanding of the Bible, you will risk getting pulled down to hell because your feelings will lead you astray. Your heart <laughs> is deceitful above all things. I'm sorry for laughing, but I just forget what it sounds like coming out of someone's mouth. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, this is such bad advice. <laughs> Keep going. That's amazing reaction. <laughs> um, And then... Yeah, just the damsel in distress, uh, perpetually giving your power away, making yourself less. It's like, well, you have to because the Bible says submit to your husband, submit to authority. What man and- would want you if you're too talkative and too too intense? He wants you. He wants a quiet virgin. I know, and it's. Cr- I mean, I don't even know those guys, or they're no. not in life at least. Actually, there was one experience. I went to Passion Conference. Are you familiar? Um, yes. <laughs> yeah. So I went to passion conference my freshman year of college and I was with a group of people I didn't know very well. And I had like, truly, I mean, like I had sex, like a, just the tip in high school and was like, never mind, I don't want to not be a virgin, you know, like a freak out and then, um, never had sex again. And so I'm at the passion conference, like, am I a virgin? Can I be a born again virgin? Like wrestling with like, if I was pure or not. And the leader, this like youth leader, um, tells her love story about how her husband, who's a youth pastor, who just like knew that God had a virgin waiting for him and that like he dated so many girls, but they just weren't virgins. And like, you know, she was a virgin. So God blessed their marriage. And I was sobbing and I was just like, I, I normally was a lot quieter about these things, but I was just like, how dare you share this story? Like, it's a good story. Like, like his expectations of you, like that's, And at that time, I thought being a virgin was a good thing. But I was like, that's not even a graceful story. It sounds like your husband was just taught this thing and has this, like, idea that he's going to be rewarded for marrying a virgin, that your sex life is going to be better. Well, like, maybe it will, but usually that's not the case. And so I I had so many issues with um, 
that story being told in not just like in a, a way that felt personal, like I feel like God is calling me to this, but like to sharing it in contexts that don't allow women to feel welcome and then make them feel dirty like no one would want them. It's it's honestly disgusting. Yeah. No room for no, no room for nuance there. And yeah, the majority of people statistically do not make it to the altar. And every sex therapist will tell you that statistically, like marrying a virgin is not a guaranteed epic sex life. That was actually a huge part of the reason I felt betrayed by God when I came out of my Mm. marriage, because when I found out my husband had cheated on me when we were dating, Mm. I was so heartbroken and I was like on my knees, like crying. And I was like, God, why didn't you tell me? You told me that if I was a good girl, I would live happily ever after and I would have an amazing sex life and I wasn't supposed to feel any of this pain that worldly unsaved people feel in their, in their marriages. And I had the Holy Spirit. I kept like trying not to say felt the Holy Spirit, like feelings, (laughs) the Holy Spirit saith to me, trust me. Um, (laughs) Did I say that? Like, did I, the Lord say, I promise you just keep your legs shut and you'll live happily ever after. Like life is Cinderella. And my quick answer, what? That's the messaging. Maybe God didn't say it, but no, that's what I'm saying. But in my prayer, I realized that wasn't the voice of God. Mm -hmm. That was the voice of teachers. And that's not even biblically accurate. There's no verse in there that says, ladies stay virgin and I'll bless you forever. And again, it's more of a patriarchal system, like men be good stewards of everything. And we will bless you with a million virgins that are really like half of them are assault victims anyway, back in those (laughs) days, you know? (laughs) And just even to point out, because this is something I've been deconstructing just in my personal life post leaving Christianity is that my spiritual life and even manifestation culture, like very self-healthy culture can interact with spirit and divine in such a transactional way that like, we're actually not cultivating relationship. We're cultivating, if I'm good, then I get, and that's like, that's Santa Claus. That's our parents. Like it's all the same thing. It's a way to keep us in line, not the same thing as being in right relationship with ourselves, our own integrity, with the people in our lives, with divine, because that to me, that's integrity. Like my relationship to myself and spirit is the same thing. It should be the same thing as my relationship with what Jesus was, but that was so, um, and who's to say it's not Jesus, you know, that's a whole nother point, but it was so transactional. It was so based on what I do such a, which is such a small version in view of God. Like if I have, if I have to be a certain way in order for God to be abundant and amazing, and that doesn't, I mean, I know that that's what a lot of people will say. Well, that's not what atonement theory really is. Like God, Jesus died for you. And so you don't have to be good, but then that gets really convoluted because yeah, kind of you do also. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's a whole nother, a whole nother thing. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a beautiful point to bring up because a lot of people accuse me or progressive Christians as a whole of being people that are just so motivated by sex and sin that we're trying to justify Mm. those things by rejecting the word of God. 
And the word of God, what people of that school of thought are not understanding is, where do you think your interpretation of the Bible comes from exactly? Comes from the voice of male leaders that were imparting it to you or female leaders that also heard it from Mm. a male leader. And um, I'm not a man hater at all, but it's just like this is the reality of how our teachings were passed down to us. And there are portions of translations of the Bible that were sterilized and changed in certain ways. All of that said, um, I think one of the accusations too is like, then what's different than uh, you being like a new age person or you relying mm-hmm. on your understanding and your feelings and everything. But I say the same thing. It's like, it's a matter of whether or not you honor divinity because you're exactly right with manifestation. And I have friends that are witches and stuff and I've told them openly. I'm like, the reason I am uncomfortable with your practice is when you're leaving out divinity. I I think it's so crucial and essential or you're bringing in really low levels of divinity that I would call, you know, a Christian language would call evil, demonic. Yeah. Um, because you're relying on what you want, regardless of the good in the world or regardless of what's good for someone else. You're just imposing your own will on the world. And I've seen it work with people because I do believe we are very powerful creatures that can move a lot of things and shape our own lives. Also, a lot of atheists love saying that I'm a humanist and they're like, just give it up already and just call yourself a humanist. And I'm like, okay, I have a lot of humanistic ideals. Mm -hmm. But again, the difference is that I refuse to and I see so much value and importance in never rejecting the divinity of everything and honoring divinity. So theology is like really similar. I have a maybe it's living in the Bible about my hang up with staying Christian. um, Just because of what category that puts me in where I live. I'm really curious if I were to live in a really a different area. I live in Springfield, Missouri. If I would feel different about using the language Christian. I've also played around with saying I was a humanist because, you know, I, I agree with a lot of humanists. I, I don't know if they say theology. I'm going to say theology because I, yeah. I describe <laughs> such things. But I agree. Like, I think that they're like what I, my relationship is with the Holy Spirit, I think. And I feel like I'm living the resurrection and I feel like I'm more Christ-like now than I was whenever I was getting it all right, whenever I was holding on to religion. And in a way, it's like allowing myself to die in that way and allowing God to die, which is really what it felt like because my identity was wrapped up in this certain specific idea of God. It was like I was resurrected to who I really am. I know that deconstruction process for me was like, it felt like I was losing everything that mattered to me. And at the time I was very happy in my marriage. I did not want to leave it. I did not want to get, you know, I I was, people were warning me, don't go to therapy. Don't become a life coach. Um, All of these things will lead you to hell. Don't fill your mind with this, this stuff. And what it would look to them on the outside is I'm lost now. And of course they don't want to become lost and lose their communities and feel like they're going to lose their marriages. And, you know, like that's terrifying. Yeah. I'm observing now um, that I'm really out. I've done a lot of therapy work around my own anger after leaving because I wasn't angry in the church. I was angry when I left. I didn't feel suppressed as a woman consciously. I didn't know I was attracted to women consciously. You know, none of those things were 
the reason why I left. They've been revealed to me after, but they took radical honesty and radical honesty feels like you're dying sometimes. I mean, I think it's beautiful that you have so much empathy and understanding for anyone that is not uh, wanting or desiring to go on a deconstruction of even anything, like you said, not even just Christianity, because it does feel like such a huge risk and it is so scary. Basically, a lot of Christian women are afraid, in my experience working with women, that if they embody their confidence or embody their worth, they're going to be arrogant and rude and like a meme girl. Or just kind of the same as like you were saying, if you if if you take up space with your sexuality, you're going to become a dancer. Like, not necessarily. Maybe that's her story. But like, for you, what if that just means more freedom with your husband? Cool. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it doesn't have to be extreme. We just like to point to the extremes because I feel like it's more entertaining than the story of someone who just feels good in themselves and stays married to their partner. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> totally. I forget who said it recently. Oh, who was that? Um, Rob Bell, I think he said, when you are making mistakes, when you're falling flat on your butt, when you are not doing things right and you come to the people in your life and you're like, I royally mess this up. I'm a disaster. I don't even know how God loves me. This is disgusting. I'm horrible. Mm -hmm. Um, He's like, my question to them is always like, I'm sorry, have you done this before? (laughs) Have you already like you already walked through life and you already had the playbook and you already knew everything you were supposed to do. And you just like decided to be terrible. And like, you know, everything that I feel so terrible about, I can trace back to just innocence, naivete, like even the example of last night, like I walked on that ride because I didn't see any signs outside. And I, you know, everything was presented to me like, this is okay. Everything's going to be okay. And really my intuition is what I should follow and being like, yeah, it is okay. Everything is still fine. But like, I couldn't hear that over the screaming voice of like, you should have known. Why didn't you know? And it's like, you know what? I just honestly didn't know. And, and having the grace for ourselves This is also something Pete Enns, um, the author, told me that I loved. He was like, you know, for any Christians that can't conceive that God loves them, why don't you just consider that he likes you? Yeah. And just go with that for a second. We were given our humanity, and apparently that's a gift. Apparently that's something that God wanted to experience himself. What is it like to live in this flesh and this body and to embrace that humanity and to not hate ourselves for being human? because we are. Yeah. And what an interesting experience it is to be human. You know, like it is odd. It is an odd experience. Like we, you know, we're talking here now digitally, but like both of us are having sex, going to the bathroom, eating food, experiencing the fall colors, you know, you're going to Universal Studios, you're growing a person. Like that's wild. (laughs) Yeah. All of it is truly a miracle. And then to be like, yeah, but I I wish my body wasn't this way and I hate this skin flap here and like God hates me because I have sexual feelings that come when I'm ovulating because my body wants to create a baby every month. Like, are you serious? Like, <laughs> yeah, it, just, it really is funny to me. It wasn't funny for a long time because I really did have a lot of internalized stuff. But I mean, truly through doing, and I would say also to circle back to something you said in the beginning around like guilt and like identifying inner child is that I have done um, EMDR and actually this Christian therapy called Splunkna. And 
some Christians find it freaky because it, it's kind of like with meridians in the body and they use acupuncture points. Um, but that was the therapy I did um, to really heal a lot of the trauma and to not be living in shame anymore while I was Christian. And wow. so um, if anyone's looking for some sort of therapy, because I feel like that is really a great place to start, no matter where you're at, if you're still a Christian or you're not a Christian, like if shame or guilt is plaguing your life because of an old story or you don't even know why, um, that's, I really don't believe that's how we're meant to live, especially if you say you're a Christian and you're supposed to live in freedom, like guilt and conviction are different. Yes. Conviction is, is supposed to come from knowing who you are in right relationship with yourself and divine guilt is an outside source of shame. That we I always say that. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So 100%. I just always recommend going to therapy, doing EMDR. Splunkna is the name of the, the therapy that I did. That was a Christian therapy specifically. Um, and I still talk to that therapist. He actually, he was great. He was, he walked me through my entire deconstruction without judgment, which was really awesome. Every path that a Christian could wind up on in this phase, like what would you recommend? Mm, a good journaling practice. Okay. To start. And the three questions I would ask are really simple in your journal every day. And then you can do your devotional or whatever it is that you do on top of these questions. But how do I, how do I feel? And legitimately just answering like what sensations are you experiencing in your body? Um, are you annoyed? Are you angry? And just like writing that down and letting it be what it is and don't try to fix it or pray about it or like cover it up. It just is neutral fact. And then the next question is, what do I need? And it could be a cup of water. It could be, I need someone to hug me. It can be, I need to read my Bible. It could be, I need to not go to church this next Sunday because it triggers me. Um, whatever that honest answer is, just let it be honest. Let it be simple. Let it be what it is. And then the third question would be, what am I celebrating about myself today? And that is usually the hardest thing for people is to say, like, yeah. is there anything good that they are good at all? And continue that sort of practice because you can do that regardless what your beliefs are as a way to connect with, with yourself. And I think it's that sort of self-observation that allows you to feel like what is true for you, no matter where you're at in your journey, if you are deconstructing or don't want to deconstruct, it's still really good practice. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us. This has been a wonderful conversation. Um, I definitely would love to promote the actual work that you're doing because obviously this just scratched the surface and I was pretty selfish with it anyway. So anyone that has any, (laughs) yeah, anyone that has any particular traumas or, you know, experiences that are different than me, how can they dive in and get into your work and be a part of this program that you've created? Yeah. So enrollment literally closed uh, Thursday. So Ugh. I'm not launching enrollment for Awaken Her Soul again until February or March. Okay. But I'm always posting. Um, I have a newsletter that I write and always sharing. So although my books are currently closed, um, if, if it does spark your interest, contact me, start a conversation. I'm pretty chatty on Instagram. Um, and I do have free resources. Like I have a free boundaries one-on-one video. It's not about religion. It's literally just about boundaries and reclaiming yourself um, in your life to no longer people please. So I have a free training of that. If anyone's interested um, in a blog, so I have plenty of free resources for people who are like wanting just to see what it's about. Madison <laughs> Hedlund is my Instagram and then madisonhedlund.co is my website. 
Okay, perfect. Thank you so much. Thank you guys for joining us. Um, If you made it to the end, that's amazing. Please like, subscribe, share with your friends, donate to my Patreon or Venmo if you can. Please go follow Madison on all of her socials and sign up when the next registration comes along. We love love you guys. guys. God God bless. bless.